confusing sound. It's just jacking the vocals all up. I mean, I mean it's clever and everything, but I, mean, I don't see what it does to it. I think that's that's how you hear it, dude. I mean, that's fine. I'm just trying to do something different. I mean, I'm I'm used to having the drummer do the beat part. You know what I mean? Holding it together. What I'm hearing, I'm going to choose my words very carefully right now, is it's very stuck. It's very, like, every fucking thing else I've fucking heard, I've heard you play. It's like, it's like you just took a Metallica, like, like, cookbook. Those things we throw out to each other are complete bullshit, you know? It sounds too stock, it sounds too normal to me that, I mean... You know what I mean? You're saying this shit so you can get your point across about doing a drum beat. I mean, you know, it doesn't hold any water. It's like, it's like you've never grown up as a musician, like, ever, and you're just, like, stuck in the 1980s, and I'm trying to propel this band into, like, the 21st, like, fucking century, you know? And, like, I think that we should try, maybe something a little different no when you say you're telling me what to play right now you're telling me you should play with what kirk's doing and i'm telling you it's stock dude fine you know what guys why don't we just go in there and just hammer it out all right instead of hammering on each other i mean we're yeah. in shit moods and we're not going to get well, all you want to do is pick today. a fucking fight and you know, i don't want to pick a fight <laughs> look i think it's fucking stock and if you want me just to be like your little monkey and just just play your little monkey beats for you just I'm not that guy anymore okay I okay I think I think that your playing sucks and you were a lot better whenever you drank I'm just gonna say it I'm just gonna say it right now I really wish you would drink some more you know it's just that we're like both in this like just fucking just pissy mood. And I fucking told you straight up that I was. You're you're really helping matters. You're really good at that. I was straight up with you and I told you I'm in a shit mood and what have you been doing? Fucking picking at me all night. Come on guys, we got better things to do. Right? Yeah, I do. I, I do. Here, just have a little bit of whiskey. Maybe that would just like calm you down. A little bit. I've got this bottle of Jack Daniels I've been saving for a time like this. Oh, I don't know if I should. I'm not supposed to touch that stuff. It's just like a fucking little bit. You're going to be fine. Like, don't worry about it. Just have a little bit and then you can relax and we can finish this album. Oh, I guess you're right. Just going to try a little sip. Oh, yeah, that feels good. Hey, James. James, like, take take it easy, man. It's too late. I'm back on the wagon. Yeah. Wait, James. Like, where are you going, man? Sorry, Lars. I gotta go back to rehab. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> Thank you.
Welcome back to Lower Your Expectation. This is episode 12. I was originally going to make this show about conspiracy theories, but uh, funny enough, it turns out I need to do a lot of research <laughs> to uh, know exactly what I'm talking about on them. Um, just like a quick sneak peek into what I'll be talking about whenever I finally do put together this episode is uh, I'm very dubious about most conspiracy claims. Um, I just I think that I think it's it falls into a trap where people who believe that it's a conspiracy will look up evidence that it is on the contrary, like the, and any evidence, and they'll sort of like push aside any evidence that uh that says that it probably happened, like we think it happened. So I've been doing a lot of research to to do that, and I've kind of got like pretty much all of the conspiracies cracked except for the JFK one, and and I don't think it's because of the fact that that uh oswald didn't didn't act alone there's a lot of details i'll go into about this of why it's totally possible he did it and it's the easiest answer and there's occam's raisin all that kind of shit um but uh the problem is with the jfk thing is that so many people believe the conspiracy more than like the than 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 the official story i guess you would call it that's what's so weird about it is that way more people have evidence, or I, I use air quotes, evidence that, you know, there was some guy in the grass, you know, or all this other shit, more than the official report. Like, the official report is, like, you know, could be, like, 50 pages versus, like, 500,000 pages of conspiracy theory. It's That is what inspired me to want to make that show was because it's a conspiracy theory that's crossed over into being, like, more accepted fact than the official story. But I realize what the problem with that is, is that in order to do that show justice, I have to really research and really have the answers to the bigger questions kind of answered. And I'm I'm working on it, guys. Okay? Don't you worry. Don't you worry. I am working on it. I said I needed more time to do it. And I just, you know, I've been I've been a, a mixture of kind of lazy and busy lately. <laughs> so I haven't been doing podcast stuff. But then finally, the muse of inspiration hit me last night um, because I got around to watching a documentary called Some Kind of Monster, which is a Metallica documentary shot in 2001 to 2003, I think. And, uh, you know, this this will be a shorter show. I just kind of wanted to go into uh, that that movie and Metallica in general. Uh, the very first album I ever g purchased with my own money was Metallica's Black Album. Um, I remember being at a Walmart with my grandma and then, uh, you know, d having like 10 bucks or 20 or whatever. It, it, I can't believe like how much the record industry got away with charging like $20 for a fucking CD in the late 90s and like 2000s. Like that's crazy. Um, but uh, that's what that's what we had to do, guys, back then. So I purchased legit chill out Lars did not Napster it. I legit bought my black album and then I pirated every other album, <laughs> but the black album I paid good money to Walmart for. And it's, uh, it's funny with that, with that album, you know, like sometimes like songs like remind you of a time, uh, you know, a good or bad kind of thing. Uh, I have had the album, uh, Candio, uh, ruined for me. 
um, thanks to or not Candio. It's a uh, both of the both of the Cars albums, Candio and their original album, have been fucking ruined for me because of a very uh, terrible experience that I had on a date. <laughs> Let's call it a date um, with a chick that I met, and uh, it's just it's just burned. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, both those albums I listen to, I'm like, you fuck. And I want to like message this chick and be like, you fucking ruined the cars for me. Thank you. <laughs> you fucking ruined it. Uh, maybe I did too. Some mutual ruining. Anyways, um, the Black Album to me just like reminds me of just so many like hot ass Texan summer days mowing lawns i used to i would mow lawns for like my parents and sometimes for a little extra cash on the side and i fucking hated it it was it terrible terrible exhausting work um it's it's kind of pathetic now whenever i see like laborers around here like you know i think i, I talked about in another show how how they'll come like super early in the morning to uh to work on stuff outside and just for reference it is august uh 12th right now and it's 70 degrees outside at two o'clock. <sighs> like that, that is that, that is like, that is the dog days of summer in Santa Barbara. And, uh, that wasn't my, uh, summer, uh, outdoor labor experience in Texas. It's more like triple digits with fucking crazy humidity. And you have to, uh, you know, wear like a, like a fucking cold cloth around your head. Like it just, it was insane. It was like, you're on a different, different planet. And, uh, I would mow these lawns. I'd mow them up and down. And I, you had to do it early in the morning. I do it early in the morning or late in the evening. You were a fucking madman. If you were going to try to cut a lawn at like this time of day at like, you know, two o'clock or something. So I always had to decide whether I want to wake my ass up really early or fight with the sunsets. Um, if I could go back in time, I would just gotten like, like a, like a flashlight or something, you know, I always felt like it was like against the rules to mow at night. I guess it is because of the noise. That's probably why. But, um, if I could go back in time, I would be like, dude, just get like a bunch of lights to put on the mower and just do it at night. Be way, way more comfy. But, uh, anyways, I listened to the black album and, uh, it's funny cause now when you know, I was putting it on today to kind of listen to it, get in the mood for the show and it just brings me right back to that lawnmower and uh, my shorts and being covered in like, you know, little grass clippings and just sweating my fucking balls off. You know, you do jobs. I, I would, you know, I'd go like mow someone's lawn and they would just look at me like I was dying outside. They'd come out and bring me some cold water or something. And then, of course, a uh, nice crisp $10 bill <laughs> for uh, for my work for the, for the, for the day out there. Everyone's got to start somewhere. <clears throat> but anyways, uh, Metallica has always been a uh, big part of the early part of my childhood getting into music. Um, like every suburban white kid, I I fell in love with the metal, with the fast electric guitars and everything. There's actually um, a theory that younger people like faster music because their like, brains work faster or something. I don't know. But uh, I loved the old, like, thrash Metallica era. Um, my dad did, too. My dad's a giant fan of that. He supposedly has a demo tape or had one from Metallica back in their early L.A. days, back in their Dave Mustaine of Megadeth days, which is something I'll talk about, too. Um, so, uh, yeah, so 
wonder where I'll start with this. Uh, you know, just kind of, kind of, kind of this, the quick, quick and dirty history of Metallica up to this movie. I'll go there, and this is like all kind of top of my head. Um, but uh, they started in the early '80s, about like 1982, I believe. You know what? Just to be a fucking professional, I'm gonna pull up the Wikipedia article. Look at me! I'm like a YouTuber. I don't know if you ever go on YouTube and watch uh, like videos where they like talk about like stories and um, like uh, historical stuff and like little like quick, quick info bites. Almost always they're just reading off a Wikipedia article. <laughs> like It's just kind of funny. I'm sweating in here today, too. It's a. Uh, I've become so accustomed to this nice weather. I got to turn off my AC whenever I record. And because I was a lazy bitch today, I didn't start recording until now in the middle of the day. And it's 75 degrees in this cabin. I'm sweating like a pig. So, yeah, it turns out that that Metallica was formed in 1981 in Los Angeles uh, by James Hetfield and Lars uh, Ulrich. James Hetfield. Uh, and then Lars Ulrich, who I love to do his voice. Like, I try to do this, like, fucking impression whenever I can. Uh, it's just, he has this kind of, like, funny, like, really restrained, angry, like, slightly Danish, uh, Southern California voice that is just super funny to listen to him talk. Especially whenever he's, like, fucking angry about something. Like, like people are, like, fucking stealing music off Napster. Anyways, they, they picked up a few bass players and, you know, they got a Dave Bustain as the uh, lead guitarist. And uh, in my opinion, the best Metallica lineup um, is the Mustaine era, you know, plus uh, uh, Cliff Burton. Like uh, that, like the, like the Cliff, uh, James, Lars, Dave uh, mix could have been the uh, heaviest fucking band of all time. Like they could have been like insane. Not Metallica did become like the greatest metal band ever but uh i really recommend if you ever want to like have some time and kind of look into some rock and roll history is look up the story of dave mustaine um for those you guys who don't know uh he is the red-haired lead singer lead guitarist of megadeth and uh, he got his start in metallica he was a lead guitarist for Metallica and he could play so fast and so loud. Like he was like really like the thrash part of it. They sort of turned into more of like a pop uh, metal band later. And you can sort of feel like just the, the Mustaine like slipping out of them. And then he did it himself with Megadeth. Like if you listen to the, the first Megadeth albums or most of them, they're pretty much just like a fuck you to Metallica. They just, they try to be way faster and way more heavy but the problem is, is that as fast and heavy as Dave is, he's not uh, as good of a songwriter, really, as Lars and James is. He, like, he just, there's like no, like, kind of beauty to it or something, you know? There's there's a lot of Metallica songs that, um, you know, are, like, fast and heavy, but uh, that was, like, Dave's, like, whole fucking thing, is he was like, we are going to be, like, the craziest, fastest metal band in Los Angeles, just the way it's going to be. Um, and he was in that band for a year and I love seeing them like play. There's like, there's, it's, it's a very rare time for the, for the, for the band because it, it is like at their, like their peak. Right. Um, sadly when it comes to like heavy metal and like punk rock and stuff, 
you go downhill immediately the older you get. <laughs> you know, it's uh, that's what's kind of funny about watching this uh, this 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 uh, some kind of monster because it's like a midlife crisis kind of show. Um, you can't play like thrash metal whenever you're forty. You really can't. Even thirty is like debatable. You know, a lot of people don't know this about me, but uh, I am a guitarist. I've been playing guitar since I was ten years old. Um, I'm fucking really good at it. <laughs> like I can, I can pick up a guitar and play with any song. I can, I can listen to a song and usually play it like uh, pretty soon afterwards. I, under, I have a complete understanding of modes and theories and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but my problem is that I do not like attention. Um, <laughs> at least I don't like attention in real life. This is like the this is the most of a attention that I'm into is a kind of a behind the scenes attention, a puppet master. If you will, I, I, I used to say I, I'd always rather be respected than famous. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I've played guitar, guitar for a while and I used to play like in punk rock bands and stuff. And, uh, you know, once my hair turned gray, that just it's just not going to happen. <laughs> like, I just like I just I just I just don't. It's just not going to happen like that. Uh, that dream ha had a had a had an expiration date on my hair turning gray. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I feel about playing like rock music and stuff. Um, it's just it's just lame. I just couldn't do that. You know, I, I can play like some softer stuff and some more melodic, but you know, you can't really go out there and thrash. Maybe I could. You know, there is uh there is Noodles from The Offspring who was like their fucking like high school janitor turned guitarist for these high school kids, which is kind of cool. But um. I've always just been really self-conscious about being on stage. I like it's it's just like how I, I hate having my photo taken. Just I just hate it. Hate it. Whatever it happens, I just freak out. I don't like it. Um you know, I've had to do like some video interviews for jobs and they're just they're just terrible. There's some that I've shot and just like I just will not work with. <laughs> like until I'm like totally broke, I guess. I'll recut it, but it just I just don't like it. I don't like people looking at me. Um and so whenever I would play in bands and stuff, I just that would just freak me out. Like we, like we would book shows and I would just like totally bail on them <laughs> or just come up with a convenient excuse why I couldn't do it. Um, which was a shame. Uh, but, uh, you know, I still got the guitar right in front of me. I like to play it every once in a while. Um, kind of distracted right now because there is some sort of acidic substance on my desk that is totally eaten through the lacquer. That fucking sucks. I don't know what it was. Had to be like a piece of a lime or something. That fucking sucks. Damn it. Anyways. <laughs> I wonder if you guys like whenever I uh, kind of break off and just uh, kind of break the fourth wall of the podcast and describe the uh, silly stuff that's happening in real time around me. Maybe not. Maybe we'll edit it out. Back to my little Metallica story. So, uh, you know, Dave Mustaine uh, was in the band only for a year. That's what's so funny about the rest of the story is it just took a year for this guy, like some sort of like comic book, like supervillain turn into like Metallica's greatest enemy, Megadeth. But uh, it all started with them playing shows in L.A. in the Bay Area. Um, you know, they they got famous really fucking fast. They were super good. They had insane energy and they partied like crazy. Um, they were known as a alcoholica uh, because they just fucking just got wasted constantly. And granted, too, the, this was whenever they were like super young. They were like 
like, you know, just turned 21, maybe even younger than that. Uh, but that's what they were known for. They were known for playing fast and loud and getting fucking wasted. And in the 1980s, that made them uh, the coolest uh, motherfuckers on Earth. So they had a huge, huge following and were ready uh, to get like really fucking famous quick. And uh, Dave Mustaine just took it too far. Um, he was in, he's an incredibly good guitarist uh, and kind of songwriter in the thrash elements. Um, if you listen to, uh, the earlier Metallica albums and compared to the later ones, there's like, like I said, there's kind of like that bleed over and a lot of like the thrash elements came from Mustaine. You can tell with Megadeth, if you listen to Megadeth and Metallica side by side, it's like, they're both like missing a part of each other. It's kind of sad in a way, um, because, uh, Metallica just kind of lost this super shredder, like fucking, you know, really good stage person too. Um, he just has a cool look. Uh, I think that's like kind of important, you know, with a band. It's something with the Beatles. I think it's kind of underrated is that uh, Paul McCartney plays bass left handed. And, and uh, same thing with uh, with uh, Nirvana. Uh, the fact that uh, Kurt Cobain plays guitar left handed uh, like shit like that, I think, is super cool. <laughs> and like to see on stage, like there's such a cool symmetry whenever you have a like a left hand and a right handed guitarist or bassist together. It's just fucking awesome. Um, and same thing with Dave Mustaine. He's just this bright red-haired fucking dude <laughs> and so it just like it's just really cool to like see you know the whole lineup together because you have like uh you know you got like these all these super long-haired thrashers and then you got this one like bright redhead thrasher who's the lead guitarist like the fucking randy rhodes uh lead metal guitarist and uh it's just kind of fun it's fun to like to see him together and stuff but uh Basically, what ended up happening was that uh, Mustaine was getting more and more ridiculous kind of with his uh, shenanigans, um, if you will. Uh, like uh, there was a uh, one time um, while they were recording, uh, he uh, he brought his dog in when, whenever they finally got like their first big album, Kill Em All, 1983. Um, Dave uh, brought in his dog to the studio and the dog just kind of went nuts and was uh, jumping all over shit. And uh, James Hetfield wasn't having it. So he uh, kicked that dog. He, he kicked Dave's dog. And uh, Dave, like, went crazy and started, you know, hitting everyone and punching. Started uh, started punching Hetfield and yelling at uh, Lars and everyone. So he got fired after that. But uh, he begged to get back in the band. And they finally did. And so they, they let him back in the band. And uh, pretty much soon after that, uh, he still was just doing just kind of ridiculous shit, which I'm sure at the time seemed like, dude, we're uh, we're fucking Metallica. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, we kind of do some hardcore stuff. Just deal with it. But uh, one of the things that that also pissed them off and it's like it's recorded in history because that's how much they hated. I'm sure there was way more shenanigans than just these. But this one was bad enough to be re recorded was that he. um poured beer down the neck in uh in in the uh in the bridge in the pickups of a of the bass guitarist the bass guitarist at the time which i'm reading now was not cliff burton at the time i guess cliff burton came even after dave mustaine um but uh he poured uh beer on his bass and uh fucked it up and this was before they were like super fucking millionaires so it'd be a big deal it'd be like if someone you know poured like beer or something like on my uh microphone um, I would, uh, be very, very upset. And so that was like, that was like their strike a two. 
And then, uh, and then what ended up happening was, uh, they were, uh, going on tour and, uh, they, they went on tour all the way to, uh, New York together. And just on the whole, the whole time on the tour, just Dave was just getting crazier and crazier with just chugging booze. And these are, this is from people who are called alcoholica, by the way, like all of them drank their ass off. James would have to go through therapy a lot of fucking therapy for this. And they all, you know, suffer a lot of physical problems. And that's something I really talk about with, uh, with rock musicians is that it's kind of like with, uh, like professional athletes. Like if you go on stage and, you know, you drink, you know, like a couple pints of whiskey and then just fucking shake your head back and forth constantly, uh, you're gonna have really big problems in your thirties and forties. And so it's sad. They all kind of did. And, uh, Anyways, Dave was just, even back then, even whenever they were 21-year-old Metallica, uh, it was too much. And so on the bus the whole time, they just they just couldn't handle it. And so what they ended up doing was uh, once they got to New York, they uh, waited till he was passed out uh, from drinking. And they carefully packed up all of his guitar and gear. And then they uh, drove him to a Greyhound bus station and loaded his fucking gear on the bus and then got him a ticket for LA. Um, and that was the final firing. That was the no going back uh, moment uh, for them. And uh, Dave knew it too. And uh, actually on the bus ride back, uh, he kind he came up with Megadeth and sort of like all this, this like evil uh, anti Metallica. He, uh, he came up with just fuming on that bus that he got kicked out. And this was before they became like super, super huge, uh, heavy mega stars. So, you know, back then he had the rage and in pretty much his entire career, Dave Mustaine's in Megadeth is about being better than Metallica. And that's not a bad thing for art and uh, creation in general. I think rivalries are really underrated. Um, I think people who want to be the best and like are, you know, intimidated or jealous of someone who's better. It's good. It's like you need that drive. You should want to get better and better and better and like, you know, have that push. I know that I have done personally really well in my life whenever I've had um, that competitive edge where I wanted to be like better than someone, you know, and I wanted to like do that, especially when it came to like videos and stuff. Uh, my my video production teacher uh actually did that on purpose with me and 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 one of my best friends who I ended up making a movie with later uh she purposefully did not let us team up on anything so whenever we had like projects to do or like little like teen video film festivals um even though we were friends in real life and we kicked it all the time outside the class uh whenever we got in the class like we were mortal enemies <laughs> like we were not allowed to work together and it was it was kind of funny and like it it worked really well and uh, it would just be, it, it was pretty good times. Like afterwards, we got back together. But our teacher told us that on purpose. She was like, you guys are, are both the best in the class. And uh, it doesn't do you any good to like work together. So you just have to like compete against each other constantly. And uh, also in that class, we had very limited resources. This was, this was, you know, still whenever like having an editing computer, like a computer that was powerful enough to edit video was like, was rare. It wasn't something that like just fucking any idiots with their iPhone could do at home or something. So we had like five edit computers for a class of 60. And basically the way it was split up was that uh, about 
80% of the class, like just didn't really give a fuck. They were just kind of in it for the for the easy PE credit and stuff. And so they didn't give a damn about those edit computers. If they had to be on those edit computers, like it was it was uh, not something they they planned on doing. That's something they were looking forward to having to do. So, you know, they would be mostly vacant unless they had to do some bullshit on them. Uh, but, you know, to use them like after class and stuff like that, like we had we had a, a coveted set of Mac, uh, not even MacBook Pros of of uh, power books. We had a coveted pair of power books that uh, were only allowed for like the like, like, you know, just very specific circumstances. And if you're really on the teacher's good side, they could let you bring them home and work on. That was like a really big deal. Um, so we would, me and me and, uh, this guy would fight over the fucking power books all the time. <laughs> we just be like begging teacher, like, don't give that asshole the power book. I need it. I need it tonight. And, uh, you know, we'd sabotage each other and shit, you know, it was nuts. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, Dave Mustaine founded Megadeth and, uh, you know, his whole life just, just upset about this. Uh, and in this movie, which I want to get back to. Uh, some kind of monster. Some kind of monster. Um, they have this awesome interview with Dave talking to Lars about this. Uh, you know, the, the the movie is framed around making the new album, making Saint Anger. But and this is what like makes it so good. And I didn't realize how good it was whenever it first came out. Whenever it first came out, I remember thinking even then that like, man, Metallica is like kind of old. Like, ugh, I don't know if I want to like see them. And and if you watch the first parts of the movie, you're just like, yeah, it's just kind of stupid. It's just like just a bunch of fucking middle aged like rock stars like trying to make another album, and they're always surrounded, um, you know, by all of these ass kissing yes men. It's just pathetic. <laughs> it's just like it's just pathetic. It's and and they're all like aging rock like hipper hippie looking kind of guys you know like with the like you know like with the long like long blonde hair they died and shit and they're all just like this is just like gonna break break grounds james this is this is just amazing amazing work it, it wasn't singing or suck sorry to tell you that it fucking sucked <laughs> it, was, it was too bad they tried to copy um you know the new metal shit that was going on at the time and in the movie it's funny because like they 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 have this whole thing where they fight about like not putting in guitar solos and Kirk Hammett their lead guitarist now um you know is making the argument that you think that by not putting in a guitar solo that we're going to make it like kind of more modern but we're just going to date it because that's what fucking everyone's doing right now. Everyone is a, is a corn or a limp biscuit who doesn't do guitar solos. They just do heavy drop tune guitars and stuff. And Kirk was 100% right. <laughs> as he all as he totally is. He's definitely the smartest person in the band by far. Um he was totally right cuz it does. It's like the 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 album sounds like the reason why rock fell apart was because of new metal. And all of that stupid shit that came out, with the exception, I would say, of System of a Down. Um, I think System of a Down is pretty underrated, with uh, that the fact that they could be a really heavy band and have like radio play at the same time, like still kind of like you know hold on to that. Um, it's just it's just hard. You really can't do that anymore. Uh, you know, I, I knew that rock was dying when it, whenever I first started playing guitar. I mean, like I'm not that old, so you know, like in the early 2000s. You know, I was like a teenager and I remember uh, picking up like I would get guitar magazine from the store uh, every time they had a new issue and it would 
always be an older person. And I just started to notice that was that you, you would very rarely see anyone like under the age of 30 on guitar magazines. I just remember like noticing that even then is being like, it's, it's all old guys. It's all like old legends and stuff. Like no one's like young people aren't jumping in and playing guitar anymore. Um, and now, now you pick up a, a copy of, of guitar magazine. Good luck finding someone who's under the age of 50 on the cover. Like for real, like go do it, go to your fucking grocery store and find guitar magazine and see if they're under the age of 50. It's sad. It's just, it's just over. It's just, that's a, it's the way time goes. I mean, rock is going to be like jazz very soon. If it not already, not already is where it'll be a respected genre. It'll be remembered. There will be old people who like to listen to it. There will be collectors of it and stuff like that. But it's, it's just, uh, it's not in the, the radio anymore. Hip hop is one. It's hip hop's time to shine. It's uh, electronic music's time to shine. The guitar is kind of done. Maybe the acoustic guitar is still around, but the the electric guitar that uh, every '80s and '90s uh, boy wanted to rock on is just just over. Just it's just done. Uh, you know, uh, like uh, maybe maybe Nirvana, you know, made the first like shot, uh, but then all those fucking new metal bands just just destroyed it. <laughs> and I had friends who listened to that crap. And it's just it's just terrible. Like fucking Papa Roach and stuff. Ugh, it's awful. Um, but anyway, so uh, in in this uh, in this movie, uh, Dave gets to talk to Lars, and uh, during this time, they uh, they have a therapist in the studio with them. They got suckered in, like many rich people do, into the whole like we need a therapist, we need an expensive therapist who can stick around here and and make sure that we all like stay focused and don't get depressed and shit like that. So they got this like weirdo in there named Phil that they're paying 40 grand a month to just be at the, at their beck and call, um, to just sort of break up fights and say, Hey, how are you feeling and stuff? And, uh, one of the things that, you know, he recommended was that, uh, that it was that Dave and, uh, Lars could finally talk. And so, Dave Mustaine is sitting there talking to Lars and they're crying, man. I mean, it's, I gotta like give him credit. Like that's, you know, I don't know where they're coming from, but like they're both in tears. Like Dave is basically like, like just spelling it out to saying like, dude, like the last like 20 years of my life has been me like kicking myself for fucking up for, for, for fucking up a position in the, the, one of the greatest rock bands like of all time. And you don't like you, you don't know how that makes me feel. And like, you know, Lars, on the other hand, is like, oh, well, but, you know, you had you had you had Megadeth, you know, you had all this stuff that was very successful. He's a Dave Mustaine's a millionaire, too. He has his own line of guitars and all kinds of shit. And he's like, but and then, you know, Dave is like, it doesn't matter. It's like it, it doesn't matter. Like, even though it is successful, it's not Metallica. Like, I will always be number two to you guys. It was a very, very powerful um, amazing thing to, uh, to watch. Funny enough, after the interview, uh, Dave, uh, goes to the producers and says, you can't release that footage. Um, he's like, he's like, I, I don't, I don't want that footage out there. 
And uh, they just kind of ignored him because he had a uh, he signed a talent release form <laughs> before they recorded. And it's gold. I have to I respect the filmmakers for this for this case. Sometimes journalistic integrity kicks in and you got to say like, oh, no, I can't have that. But uh, he did the right thing. And they left in the interview, uh, which is really, really good. And uh, Dave actually, after that happened, said that they were like dead to him. He's like, that was the last straw with you guys. Like, I'm never going to gonna reconcile with Metallica or anything. And uh, guess what? They he totally did. He totally went back in his word. And I think, I think only like a few years ago, uh, him and Lars did like a show together and stuff. So whatever. They should come back together. They should just go ahead and just, just do it. Wouldn't that be wild? They just said after like 30 years um we're gonna we're gonna bring dave back that was your time out dave was 30 years <laughs> and now you're back in the band whenever we're all like fucking 50 now but uh anyways uh they have this guy phil who's who's just around there like uh you know as the emotional support person for everyone lars hates him lars immediately sees through his bullshit like i would have too um, that, uh, oh, wow, this guy's our best friend, um, and we just have to pay him $40,000 a month. And then, you know, because he is the uh, the advisor to these guys, um, you know, he starts saying shit like... Uh, like, 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 like at first they want to, they want to cut him back. They want to cut him back from, from, from every, uh, every, every, from like every day him being there to like every other week or something. And uh, surprise, surprise they end up changing their mind right before his uh right before this uh time change is about to happen because he got underneath James's skin and it was like dude no you got to have us like we I still got work to do I still got to work on this and there's a great uh point at, near the end of the movie where uh they're they're like sitting down like talking to him about uh you know the future and they're they're trying to be like so nice to say he's fired i guess cuz the cameras are there or something uh, they're trying like so nice to be like, uh, we don't need you anymore. Like you're gone. And then while this is happening, he's like trying so hard to be like, well, you know, whenever you go back on tour, I think that you still need me there to like make sure that goes smoothly. Like he's just trying to hold on to this $40,000 a month job, which I don't fucking blame you for wanting to. But uh, where he fucked up, where he fucked up was that he... uh mentioned to someone in the studio that he was planning on moving to San Francisco, which is where they record and live now, I guess. Um, they have a fucking sick, sick location where they recorded this album. It was in the Presidio, uh, which is like a, a park north of, of San Francisco. It's right underneath like the bridge, like the fucking, the Bay Bridge. I mean, I'm sorry, the Golden Gate Bridge. So like, of course, Metallica money. They got all that so, uh, you know, they're they're uh, he he uh, he mentions to someone that he plans on moving and like while and then and James brings that up. He's like, you know, uh, that kind of makes me a little concerned because it seems like, you know, you're <laughs> you're planning on staying around for good. And, you know, it's kind of a conflict of interest that uh, the more sick I am, the more money you make, <laughs> you know, so. Uh, you know, that they, they finally like squash that over something. And, uh, what's funny too with Phil is that they, uh, they, they, the, the record, uh, company originally hired him to stop, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Jason Newstead, their, uh, bass player they had for like 15 years 
to stop him from leaving. That was the whole reason he got he got hired was that Jason Newstead uh, wanted to make another another uh, band called Echo Brain, and it was like a much more of a groovy kind of like Red Hot Chili Peppers feeling band, totally not Metallica whatsoever. And uh, everyone in the band uh, said, "That's fine, whatever. You can have a side project, but not James Hetfield." James Hetfield said, "Oh no, no, no." He said, no, you can't, you can't have that. You can't have anything that'll distract you from Metallica. Like he's like, he basically gave him the old it's us or them speech and whatever, you know, it actually wasn't that Rocky, but then what happened was they got this guy, Phil, and then, uh, they had one, one meeting with Phil and the rest of the band and Jason and, and the whole lineup. And after one meeting, Jason quit the band. He's all right through it. He's a lot like me in that sense that, you know, if you try to like psychoanalyze some people uh, and try to like get in their head, uh, it can just piss them off. <laughs> it can just, it has the opposite effect. And that's how Jason said, he was like, he's like, this is bullshit. Like we've been through like so much and we need like a, like a fucking daddy here. We need like a little like fake daddy to like come here and like tell us what to say and not to yell at each other and stuff. Fuck that. I'm out. And he just quit. Um, so, you know, with, with Jason leaving with a new album being made with them all in their forties, um, it's already like a super awesome story. And then on top of that, uh, you know, J, uh, James Hetfield is struggling with drinking and, uh, I have a hard time joking about this because I'm someone who is dealt with addiction firsthand, secondhand, and thirdhand. If you want to know how secondhand works? message me <laughs> but i've dealt with all of that i've dealt with it on the inside and outside and it's fucking terrible it sucks it's especially whenever it happens to people who you know are uh you know who are who are, who are intelligent or creative and uh they just it, it's just sometimes it goes hand in hand it's just sad sometimes you know like needing that like feeling of like an altered kind of state and stuff it sucks um and uh you know he uh james did the right thing of getting a hold of that. Uh, I wonder if it's like natural selection with rock stars though, because I mean, just Jesus Christ, he, like it's, it's shocking <laughs> that he's still fine, you know, cause he, he decided he was like, Oh, I've had enough of this. Uh, like whenever he was like 40 years old, probably should have made the decision like in his like twenties. Um, that it's it crazy too. Whenever they talk about them, like playing in their twenties and stuff about how they would <laughs> tell each other to go to AA and whatnot. And like, I think about whenever I would drink with my friends in my twenties, like I would, that you, no matter how much we drank, like I would not go that far. So they must've been just going fucking nuts. And they show some clips of how they partied in the eighties. And yeah, it was, it was pretty nuts. <laughs> um, James even admits that, uh, he stopped kind of giving a damn about playing music and it was just about the parties. That's pretty much it. Like just anywhere he would like anytime he would like be excited about doing a show or a tour, he would just be looking for the strip clubs and stuff nearby the show. That's it. All he had to do was get on there and just strum a little bit and scream with the microphone. But anyways, uh, the movie takes place over like over 700 days from them starting the album, dealing with the James going back to rehab, losing Jason, all of this to the very release of it. Um, and even shooting the music video and starting the tour. Very, very cool. I, I like, I like how it's so all encompassing. 
And uh, like I said, uh, at first, whenever I first heard about this movie, I thought it was kind of stupid and lame. I think also because of the time period. It is it is a very early 2000s reality show feeling thing. As a matter of fact, whenever I did the research on this, I found out that while they were putting this together, um, they wanted to turn it into a reality show. Like basically the record executives first paid for the documentary to be made. And then they, uh, they, they, uh, while they were shooting it, it was taking so fucking long, you know, cause they were, they were like, we're going to turn this into a, into a feature film that they wanted to kind of like rescue some of the footage or get some more mileage out. So they wanted to turn it into like a stupid, like a uh, Ozzy Osbourne style, like, like, uh, like reality show, like an MTV reality show about Metallica, which probably would have been cool. But, uh, and the, 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 the vibe of it is kind of that way. Um, but what, what happened was that once James got a hold of that and, and the band heard about that, they actually coughed up, uh, over $4 million of their own money to just go ahead and just buy the rights to the, to the movie. Just so that, so, so after that point, the movie is funded by them, which is funny because they're like the stars of the show and stuff. James actually says that, um, the cameras in having everything around him, uh, was part of the therapy. He his his theory was that by having the cameras recording them constantly, that is that they had to be honest. Is that they couldn't just lie and they couldn't just like go off and then run away and be like, oh, I didn't know what I said. They had to think about what they were saying. That's what's so funny about hearing them talk because they are extremely careful about how they talk. Um, I curse more in this podcast than they do in the entire like movie. They just they're very reserved. They even say stuff like, I'm going to choose my words very carefully now. The way I, you're making me feel, it's just, it's super funny. And uh, one thing that's kind of interesting about like shooting back then is uh, maybe the gear has changed with, with cameras for sure. Um, but uh, one thing that's funny as, as, as a video audio person now is that uh, James complains a lot about the boom mics. He's like, he's, the boom mic is what pisses him off the most about the shooting process. And I think about it now and like, uh, you don't need a fucking boom mic. You just you strap wireless mics on everyone, then you don't need the boom mic. And if and I think if it was if it was shot today, it could be done even more like uh, covertly. Like you could use GoPros, you could use like all kinds of stuff that wouldn't need like a like a like a, some stupid like camera operator in your face the whole time. Um, so just kind of a thing I was thinking about as a technical person. But anyways, whenever it comes to Metallica, uh, I highly recommend the movie. Uh, some kind of monster, and I highly do not recommend the album Saint Anger. There's much better stuff out there. If you want a good movie to see, check out Some Kind of Monster, which, uh, by the way, I did illegally download. Sorry, Lars. So uh, that's going to wrap up the show for today. Uh, we're going to make it a little bit, a little bit shorter. Uh, we're going to work on that conspiracy theory episode. I promise. I just, I really have to think about it, and I have to like, I have to have good research because what I don't want to happen is I don't want to make the show and then have some, like you know, false information in it, and then suddenly I'm part of the goddamn conspiracy. I don't want that. So I need to like actually write this one down and not just go off the top of my head, which I do with a lot of this. 
So with that, uh, please contact me whenever you like on uh, Facebook, Lower Your Expectation, on Instagram, Lower Your Expectation Podcast, and of course, email me, loweryourexpectation at gmail.com. I hope you have a good rest of your week. Sorry this took so long. But before you go, did the devil make you do it? Can an obsession with Satan wreck lives and drive people to kill? Dave Mustaine is one of the gods of metal, a founding member of Metallica and the founder and frontman for Megadeth. He says he has no doubt about the devil. You know, you see people, they think that he's like red, he's got a goatee and a pointy tail and stuff like that. He doesn't. He's very beautiful. He's an angel. Why would he look like some monster? He's capable of looking just like you. Mustaine's fascination with the occult continued into his adulthood. I was doing a lot of blood packs with people. This is before we found out about AIDS. It was real simple stuff where you cut your thumb and you rub it with somebody else and become blood brothers. Mustaine believes that he opened the door to demonic forces, which had a profound impact on his life. Every time I drank, I did not always do activities that were satanic, but any time I had been doing anything that was satanic, I had been drinking.